0: Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates stories, the art of telling, and the journey of listening, with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 26.
1: Also, was just writing a story about love, about the father's love for his kids, about the daughter's love for her father, um, and I just got caught up in the characters. They seemed very real to me, and I honestly did not know where it would go, whether it would be accepted.
0: This is author Deborah Thomas talking about her novel *Loose*, a story that took a long time to write, to get published, and ultimately to be accepted and recognized with awards. When we met on Zoom, I could feel her love for her characters and the story. I want you to listen for how she wove her own life experiences and lessons about regret into the story. We begin by talking about her main character, Alma, and the compassion and cruelty she experiences as she goes on a journey with her sister to find their father. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. She's not a naive young woman. She is. Um, she goes in prepared um, for struggle, and um, and she takes on a lot of personal responsibility for that.
1: She's the one who who pushes her sister to do this, uh, to keep going, keep going, no matter what. And of course, she. You know, like any time we make a decision, you know, we we feel compelled to do something and then we think later, wow, should I? You know, everyone, no matter what decision you make, if you look back, you could have regrets. You just have to keep moving forward and accept whatever the consequences are. But um, as you know, having read the book, some things happened that she really struggles to uh, accept that she was, she feels responsible for and has to get beyond.
0: Yes. That idea that you just said, you just mentioned regrets, and that's actually... Um, one of the notes that I made, um, she's interacting with a a professor. And I think the teacher in that scene says something about not having regrets. It's important not to have regrets. But Alma rewrites that a little. And the sentiment that she says, it's how you live with regrets that determines your life. Mm-hmm. So where, where did that come from for you? Well, I certainly...
1: Um you know, I've certainly made decisions in my life and wondered, I hope I did the right thing. And you just have to keep moving forward, um, yeah. whatever it might be. I mean, I, I moved 3,000 miles away from my my family with the intention of moving back um, and raising, having children and raising them with my mom and dad. And, and life happened and it. I couldn't go back for many reasons. Um, and I wished that I could have been with them all those years. But of course, you can't feel bitter or angry, move forward, and make the best of where you are. And I certainly did here um, loving being in a diverse city. This is what changed my life. Teaching uh, people from all over the world, opened my eyes to a lot and, and really determined my future in many ways.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about moving from the East coast
1: right. to the
0: West coast. You've moved all the way across the country mm-hmm. and you just uh, mentioned something about, about working and teaching and that you, um, You've had a lot of life experience in this, in where you've seeded this story uh, with the immigrant population in California. You've been involved with Amnesty International and um, worked as, as a nurse, but also as a teacher. My first career, I was an RN. I worked
1: in intensive care. And in fact, when I first moved out here to LA, I worked at UCLA Medical Center. My first husband went to law school at UCLA, which is why I moved out here. Um, But I always loved literature. I was a voracious reader and I wanted to write. And so when my children were quite young and in school, I went back to college and got both a bachelor's and master's in English. And uh, my marriage ended up in divorce. And so obviously I needed a full-time job with benefits. I started teaching. First I taught ESL. Then I taught high school.
0: I think that gets to how this is such an authentic story. Is your life experience is, is more than just as an, a casual observer of, mm-hmm. these, of these issues. The, our main character and her sister make multiple border crossing attempts. I wasn't... I wasn't prepared for the violence. Um, It kind of took my breath away, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't want to give away too much. But do you want to talk about why it was important to you to take this story to that kind of um, grittiness, heartbreak? Why did that need to be included?
1: Well, the reality of it, I'd heard so many horrible, heartbreaking stories. Uh, Ciudad Juarez, where so many people have met with uh, violence and no one has done anything about it. Nobody cared. I don't know that a lot of people in our country are aware of it. And um, I guess part of the reason I was writing was, you know, to, to bring a lot of these things to light. And to be honest with you, I, I can't remember anymore if that was my intention when I started writing. I honestly don't know. I just know that it happened. Um, mm-hmm. You start writing and, and somewhere, maybe from your unconscious, who knows where it comes. Uh, this is what happened next. And um, and the fact that it was so unexpected for you, I, I'm, I'm glad because that's what it would have been like for uh, someone who thinks, Oh, you know, I'm almost there. I'm safe or whatever. And then yes. you have this frightening, which is probably, you know, what the experience is like. Violence happens unexpectedly. So.
0: Yes. Yes. I guess you're right. That is. Even though our character, your main character is, seems um, I've got to be prepared. I'm prepared for the worst. Um, what she ends up going through no one's really prepared for i right. guess right like that is the unexpected mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was that hard to write about
1: oh it was very hard to write um very hard I, I was very emotional writing those and every time i reread it or reworked it or uh very emotional and then when i got to the, what happens next it just felt so realistic for me as to what she would go through after um, and, and that was very emotional to write, too. Very emotional and very difficult. Because you come to love the characters like they're your own children in a way, you know? And you, they're very real to me. In fact, the novel I'm working on right now is from characters that I wrote decades ago, and I love them so much I wanted to bring them into their future. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they become very real to you. Very, very special in your heart.
0: Yes. I feel that way as a reader so often, it's funny yeah. that authors, I, it makes perfect sense that an author would feel like the characters are, are part of them, part of their family, mm-hmm. but um, you, I don't want to give anything away in the book, but you do, you do you do become attached and you're, you're rooting for them. Good. Oh, glad to hear that. Yeah. But it's, it's hard. It's just really, it's hard to read things where someone suffers so unfairly. So unjustly,
1: I mean, just this morning uh, in the l a Times, I read about uh, a mother, and I think it was an eleven year old they're at a shelter you know in Mexico, and they were kidnapped by cartel, and they had to give two thousand dollars to be released, and they're released to nothing. I mean they're unspeakable with what's happening and what happens to people all over the world. I mean, we know in Afghanistan yeah. what's going on right now for so many people um, and and at the time that I wrote my novel, I am working with Amnesty International. I mean, I was reading about heartbreaking things in Guatemala, you know, so I was very well aware of the cruelty out there. And I guess what gives me hope is the kindness. That's what I keep coming back to are the people coming together, the people that help the kindness that you do see. I guess that's what it is for me. Maybe trying to make sense of the cruelty and finding the answer and the kindness and the the compassion and empathy that, that people Mm. can find. And that's what I love about fiction because fiction does what you just described. You know, it, it draws the reader in. So they experience another life. Um, maybe it's a world very different from their own, but they also see and can relate to connect to all the things we share, you know, love of a father of children. Yes. Yes. Um, And I like to think that through fiction, people can maybe develop their empathy more and then be a little bit more open-minded and understanding, you know, everyone has a
0: story. Right. And that we can, we can see each other in stories, even that are very different than our own lives. The other thing I wanted to talk about was, and this maybe helps us set up a little bit, the excerpt that we're going to share today is, um, is one of those moments of experiencing kindness, um, in the book as they're making one of their attempts to cross into the United States. They're with a family. Um, and I, I felt like it was, you know, it was a good, there was, they were experiencing a goodness in life. I almost, I wanted them to stay. Yeah. I don't know if that was your intent, but I, I loved this family that yeah. was that was caring for them and nurturing them. And um, can you talk a little bit about why you gave us that glimpse of, of happiness there? Well, um,
1: I wanted Alma to experience that sense of family again that she longs for, that she's lost with her father's disappearance. And that's really, she, you know, we all search for where do we belong? Where is our family? Sometimes it's our blood family. Sometimes it isn't. And yeah. she, she's lost that with the disappearance of her father, because her father was the one who believed in her future and encouraged it. And with him gone, it's gone. Her life is not going to be what she dreamed it would be. So yeah. seeing that family brings back the longing and they want to find their father and Alma wants to find her father. And so she, it's driven her to keep going. She couldn't stay there and yeah. not try to find him. Um, But, yeah, it was that sense of family and belonging that I wanted to capture that she longs for and that is propelling her on this journey no matter what.
0: So we're going to pause in our conversation with Deborah right there and listen to that scene. When we come back, we're going to talk about that beautiful lily on the cover. But now this is a scene from Luce, written by Deborah Thomas. While this house looked sad and drab on the outside, inside it was bright with color. Besides the windows dressed in multicolored fabrics, even the well-worn brown sofa was draped along the top with a cloth of shimmering green and yellow stripes. We learned that Lupe and the other young women "'wove colorful fabrics and made them into all sorts of crafts— "'belts, purses, miniature dolls, bookmarks, headbands, placemats, "'and that every other weekend they took them to sell at a relative's table "'at the Mercado Benito Juarez. "'When Rosa and I heard the news that they were driving to Oaxaca "'at the end of the week and we were welcome to ride along, "'it took our breath away. "'While I was anxious to get to Oaxaca City,' The thought of a few days' rest and a ride into town was more than convincing, especially after hearing that it would take three or four days, at the very least, to walk there. Even Manuel seemed relieved at the news, nodding in agreement, and saying he would be happy to help care for the animals the next few days. About an hour later, after the long table had been moved back to a far corner, and as Candle's... "'tossed dancing shadows on the walls. "'I sat beside Rosa on the bench, "'now placed in the center of the room. "'The spicy smells of the meal still lingered. "'Everyone else had stepped outside, "'except for Rosa and Lupe. "'I could hear hushed whispers "'beyond the curtained windows "'as Rosa stroked my back "'and Lupe removed the sling "'that had held my shoulder. "'If my eyes weren't open... I would have sworn I was in a tiny boat, swaying gently over calm waves. My cheeks burned, and a warmth spread throughout my entire body. I felt more content than I can ever remember. I had just drunk a small glass of tequila. Slowly, Lupe extended my arm, massaging it, stroking the skin, I closed my eyes as her calloused fingers relieved the itches and the aches. But as they found their way to my shoulder, I tensed. Rosa turned my head and pressed it to her shoulder. Remember the time Papa took us to Paplanta and we saw the men, los voladores, fly? She whispered, remember the colors, the red, orange, and yellow, like large birds in the sky? I tried to remember, but the hands were moving firmly around my shoulder and under my arm, pressing, palpating deeper and deeper. I tried to imagine the large, colorful birdmen swirling far above. But suddenly the room itself was spinning, and my stomach was turning as well. Then Lupe's long braid swung off her shoulder and tapped against my cheek, startling me. I pitched forward, and as I did... Lupe tugged sharply on my arm with one hand and pressed down firmly on my shoulder with the other. I heard a pop, but in the same instant, I doubled over and emptied the entire contents of my dinner all over the freshly swept cement floor. I heaved until there was nothing left to come up. And it was then that I realized that both of my arms were wrapped around my stomach and the throbbing in my shoulder was gone. As I caught my breath, I slowly lifted my shoulder up, then down, then side to side. It ached, a deep, dull soreness, but no sharp, pulsating pain. I remember them helping me to the soft, lumpy sofa, and Lupe washing the cut on my thigh. At first it burned, until she massaged the area with something thick and cool, That night I slept deeply, though I heard the stirrings of Lupe's sons as they rose early and left for the fields. I drifted in and out, hearing their voices as they passed. I knew that two unmarried sons lived in this four-room house with Lupe. The others, two sons and their wives, a daughter and her husband, as well as a baby and three children, lived in the smaller homes but they all ate together at Lupe's each evening. I felt such a deep peace and contentment that night, perhaps because of the tequila. But just as potent was that warm, fluid feeling of family. That first morning, when I finally awoke, I found Rosa and Lupe in a small room in the back, A wooden loom leaned against the wall beneath the open window with threads of many colors dangling and swaying in the light breeze. Along one wall, cinder blocks and pieces of wood were fashioned into a haphazard array of shelves, and stacked upon them, from floor to ceiling, were Lupe's creations, Los Colores. The room was dizzy with color. Rosa was holding a small doll, with large, embroidered eyes, a long, thick braid of black yarn, and a bright green skirt with orange, zigzag trim along the bottom. I'm going to make her a rebozo to wrap around her and place a small basket of flowers on her arm, she said, her eyes bright with excitement. She had recovered quickly from her own ordeal and was clearly refreshed from her night's sleep. Lupe says we can help her this week and even at the Mercado if we want. How is your shoulder this morning? Lupe asked, setting down a pair of large blue eyeglasses and beckoning me to stand beside her. Though I had yet to see her smile, there was a softer tone to her voice. It's just a little sore, I said, moving my arm in a circle as I stepped forward. She ran her hands over my shoulder, then said, Just a minute, and disappeared. I scanned the shelves and ran my fingers over a stack of folded fabrics. Thin stripes, thick stripes, flowers, dots, and diamond shapes in every color imaginable. I picked up a miniature drawstring purse to find a collection of worry dolls inside. Change purses, eyeglass cases, tasseled bookmarks. And then, my eyes spotted on the far right shelf a stack of fabric-covered books. I reached up gingerly, waiting for that jolt in my shoulder. But it didn't flinch until I gathered the books and lifted them down. Even then, its complaint was mild, a lameness that would pass in a few days. When I opened the books and found they contained blank pages, I was disappointed at first. But then, the thought of keeping a written account of our travels began to excite me. I shuffled through the books, admiring each combination of color or intricate design— Some were covered simply in solid or striped fabrics. Others were pieced like patchwork with different fabrics and fine stitching. And still others were decorated with hand-embroidered designs. It was this last stack that I was drawn to. Three in particular, because they were all worked on a deep blue cloth. The first was a sailboat gliding over a blue sea, Beneath that one was a white seagull soaring across a blue sky. And then the third took my breath away. It was simply a white calla lily against a backdrop of blue. Just like my little box of stars. My fingers traced the curve of the white flower. Una flora delicata. Lupe's voice startled me. Outside! Out! Out! Go see to the animals. Vamanos. I glanced up just in time to see Manuel disappear from the doorway. Had he been watching me? Lupe entered the room, shaking a brown bottle vigorously in her hand. Take off the blouse, she commanded. I quickly placed the books back up on the shelf, glanced self-consciously at the doorway, and slowly unbuttoned my white blouse. I blushed as she said, Bra too for even my mother hadn't seen me naked in a while. But Lupe's matter-of-fact manner left me with little choice and also strangely put me at ease, and so I obeyed, though I shyly covered my breasts with my blouse. The truth was, I was glad to take off my bra. It was so small that my breasts were bursting out the sides and top, leaving creases on my skin. Shortly after she opened the bottle, both Rosa and I began coughing The sharp smell permeated the room. Sit, she said, nodding toward her chair before the loom. As I did, I sheepishly looked up at Rosa, who stifled a laugh. Then Lupe began to rub the sticky white lotion into, around, and under my shoulder. I could feel the heat permeate deep into the injured joint. As her rough hands massaged, she said to Rosa, Now, watch closely. You will do this morning and night for one week. Rosa's eyes widened, and when they met mine, I couldn't hold back my laughter. And for the first time, Lupe smiled, saying, Yes, you will both stink. Look out, everyone will say. Here come those stinky sisters. Quedado." The next few days, Manuel tended the animals and fetched water, while Rosa and I helped Lupe with her crafts. The stitching was all done by hand, something Rosa had enjoyed doing at home, so she was able to produce a couple of dolls in one day, while I found pride in three simple eyeglass cases. But it was soothing, sitting on the sofa or on a bench outside, slowly stitching pieces together, then turning them right side out and seeing a neat finished product. I wondered who would buy them and where they would journey. Lupe said many American tourists had bought her goods. She was a woman of few words, working quickly and quietly, never resting for a moment. Her gray braid always hung over one shoulder, and while she worked, she wore those oversized blue glasses that slid down her nose from their weight. I liked that she firmly told me what was expected, quietly corrected me if I was wrong, and then responded with a simple, good when I finished, Lupe was calm and reassuring, unlike my mother, who was always barking like a small dog. I wondered what it would have been like to have a mother like Lupe. When we finished a full day's sewing, we helped Lupe with dinner. Each evening, when I heard the truck coming in, I felt an excitement similar to that I used to feel when Papa came home from El Norte. I vaguely remembered Mama preparing tamales days ahead and cleaning the house like it was up for inspection. What I didn't know, and wondered with great sadness, was how Mama reacted when he came in the door. Was she beaming with love? Was she timid because they had been apart so long? I didn't know, because all I remembered was dashing toward the door to be the first to hug him, thinking only of myself, oblivious to THE NEEDS OF OTHERS. THE THOUGHT OF THIS FILLED ME WITH SHAME. THOSE FEW DAYS AT LUPE'S WERE A much needed RESPITE, NOT ONLY FROM WHAT WE'D BEEN THROUGH, BUT FOR WHAT LAY AHEAD. THOUGH THE MEALS WERE SIMPLE, MADE WITH WHATEVER LUPE HAD THAT DAY, AND THOUGH HER SONS WERE WORN OUT BY THEIR LABORS IN THE SUN, THERE WAS A SENSE OF COMMUNION THAT I HADN'T FELT SINCE PAPA LEFT so on our last night there, I felt both sadness and exhilaration. It had been a joy to stop there and regain our strength, but it only made me ache all the more for what was and yearn to move on to what could be. After dinner that last evening, everyone helped pack the crafts onto the truck, which was then covered with a tarp. Then, since many of us would be rising early to head for the Mercado in Oaxaca City... We called it a night. But as Rosa and I prepared our little bed on the sofa, Lupe motioned us into her bedroom, where, neatly folded on her small bed, were a few blouses, pants, and skirts. See what fits you. Take what you need, she said. And Alma, see if one of these fits you better. Reaching into a drawer beside her bed, she pulled out a couple of bras, They seemed huge, with large cups and thick straps, but they would serve me better than the small piece of cloth that made me look like a four breasted beast. Lupe, you have been too kind to us. Gracias, Rosa said, hugging her. Lupe accepted her hug with a nod, then said, There is no too kind. We give what we have to those who are in need. And now, you both do the same. She placed her hand first on Rosa's arm, then mine, and said gently, I have been in your shoes before, and others have been kind to me. No one reaches my age, loses two husbands and three children, and makes it on their own strength. Nos ayudamos, mutuamente. We help each other. And the lily shows up a couple of times in the story imagery of it. And uh, do you want to talk about Luce, the significance of the title, and how that connects to the lily?
1: Well, Luce means light in Spanish. And I don't want to give away the reason she names her daughter Luce, but it's the name of her daughter. It has something to do with a very specific moment that has to do with light. Um, the calla lily itself, I've always loved calla lilies. And when I thought of the idea of the little wooden box that Alma carries with her on her journey that her father gave her, it's blue with a white calla lily. And she keeps mementos in there, like little stars and stickers that he would put on her schoolwork. And, um, She carries this with her, and then on her journey, there's a scene where she sees um, these different crafts, and one of them is a little journal that looks Mm -hmm. similar, blue with the white calla lily, and she ends up using that for her math journal. She loves math, and she would love to be a math teacher one day. The calla lily itself, I just love its, its significance. You know, white, it's the white calla lily, it's purity and innocence, Um, it's also only, it blossoms in the spring, so it's rebirth, it's hope. Um, So many different beautiful symbols of the calla lily uh, that I felt fit Alma and her daughter.
0: And the calla lily, like you said, symbol of purity and rebirth. But when I realized it was also for you a symbol of light and how this plays into the title and the, the daughter's name, I just thought, It was one of the first
1: title ideas, Dara La Luz, Dara Luz in Spanish is how they say uh, to give birth, you know, you're giving to the light, the child is coming to the light. Um, So initially that I was thinking, well, maybe that could be the title, you know, giving to the light, Dara La Luz. And um, and then we we brought it down to just loose, which I love. I just love that, that one word right there on the cover.
0: I do too. It's a beautiful image. Um, and I, I hope that everyone that reads it makes the connection to the flame, um, to the imagery of a, of a candle. I hadn't heard that in Spanish before, but this idea that motherhood, that giving birth is giving to the light or bringing to the light mm-hmm. is just, uh, Isn't that it's beautiful? just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did come to really appreciate the cover and the title and the the imagery that you created and the way that that weaves itself through the story is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, you mentioned math. That is on my list of things to talk about. Of course, I don't think anybody could read this book and not come away with this uh, this appreciation for how your main character utilizes word problems. That's really the best way to think about it. Like it, she uses it as a distraction. She uses it as a Escape um, a, an and escape.
1: And, make, and to make sense or even um, journal uh, t- information about her travels, um, you know, to convey something she experienced. Uh, yes. Math word problem. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, as we get to the end of your book, in your author's note, you recap all of these different word problems that Alma yeah. has used throughout the story. And I, I give the
1: answers and how you got to the answer. Yeah.
0: I actually got to that point and read the author's note and really went back and reviewed each of them that I realized that you had included some really startling real info in them do you want to talk about why you did that well
1: if you're talking about things like uh, how many people died each year and that the deaths in the desert were increasing that I had her see a chart on the wall at border patrol I think Uh, And that, of course, was just from my own, you know, experience and information that I wanted to convey uh, how the deaths were increasing and increasing. Yeah, that's that one I think of. Mm
0: -hmm. You have hidden quite a bit of truth in the fiction through those through those word problems.
1: Well, I got involved in Amnesty International first because of the deaths in the desert. I was reading them in the L.A. Times. This is while I was teaching ESL to adults and many of my students were from Mexico and Central America. And I was doing a lot of reading at the time to understand, you know, their lives and why they were leaving their homes. Nobody wants to leave their home. They are always leaving because they have to uh, for one reason or another. So I got involved in amnesty uh, with a specialty in immigration and refugees. I got to tour the, uh, detention center that used to be in Long Beach, which is no longer there, but I got to see what it actually looked like. It is a prison and they're dressed in, you know, these aren't criminals. They're just people who are looking for a better life, like my Italian grandparents. Um, And then I met Father Richard Estrada and the Water Stations Project. These were volunteers who would go out in the desert to strategic areas where people had been found dead and they would leave uh, boxes of water and mark them with a blue flag. And so I went with them one time to see what this was like. I got to go to the Holtville Cemetery where the remains of the unidentified are buried, you know, people who they find their bodies and there's no ID on them and no way to find their families. Um, they're just buried with a brick that says John or Jane Doe. Uh, and I was part of a ceremony there with Father Estrada. Edward James Almost was there, a few politicians and a lot of kind souls, uh, and we honored those who were buried there.
0: You just mentioned a second ago the, your own immigrant family um, story, which isn't from Mexico, is from Italy. The
1: truth is, um, when I was working with my students from Mexico and Central America, I felt like I was with my Italian family. The Spanish and the Italian language are very similar. The yeah. uh, ranchera music. That they would play on breaks was like my grandfather's music that he'd squeeze a box. The Catholic religion, the you know the the mother figure having such stature. There were just so many similarities that I almost felt like I was with family. And and at the time that all this was happening, I was going through my divorce. My family was three thousand miles away, and I I felt a comfort and a connection with them. And my grandfather was a construction worker. My grandmother initially worked in a cigar factory. Um, And um, my dad in kindergarten was scolded for speaking Italian and not speaking English. And Mm. they made him sit in a corner with a dunce cap. So many things that I was hearing, you know, from my my students and then later, even my high school students who were the children of, you know, people like my ESL students um, there were just so many similarities, but again, I've worked with people from all over the world, not just, you know, Italy and and Mexico that struggle to find where you belong, especially if you have to leave your home.
0: Yeah. I think there's just something, you know, this is clearly about a young girl and her journey, leaving Mexico to come to the United States and the, the trauma that she goes through and the kindness that she interprets, but there is something universal about all immigrant stories and i think sometimes that is lost on people i don't know that we make enough um compassionate empathetic connection to the immigrants of today you know that we don't draw those parallels very often so
1: many people forget that they come from immigrants you know no matter how many decades or centuries their families have been here you know yeah i mean it's a complex topic Today, especially with COVID and, and um, you know oh the heartbreak at the border and now refugees needing to come in, it's a complex topic, but it has to be dealt with with empathy and compassion. It cannot be done coldly. That's my hope that com- compassion and empathy will will guide people who are making those decisions.
0: When you actually focus in and you pinpoint in on one young woman's experience, it's easier, I think, to see humanity and feel compassion. Um, and that's really what you've delivered is a very personal account of something that we can hear big numbers for when we think about immigration. But well, this you. is a personal story. Yeah,
1: that's, that's what I love again about, about fiction. Um, I, I, and, and there is something about the power of the imagination that captures the essence of truth. I mean, I can list all those statistics about the people who die. Um, you hear an individual story And that makes all the difference. And that's what I love about fiction. You know, give that person a name, give a backstory, give a motivation, draw people in so that they can understand and feel her suffering and and better understand the situation.
0: You can find Luce and a great book club study guide put together by Mary Sharif on Deborah's website. I'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks to the International Popwood Queen and Timber Guys Book Club, that's where I first heard about this novel. And thank you for listening.